If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read this very short passage, this command from the Lord from the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath and then pray and see what God has for us. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, Lord, we believe that you are at work in all places across time, that you are now, Lord, erecting a kind of sanctuary around the people of God so that we can come into a space, Lord, where we are free and at home with you to worship, to experience your peace. And that's what we pray for now, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would bind up the people of God and that you, were, you would, Lord, speak your word of of peace and strength to our souls, God. In the same way, Jesus, that you stepped out over the edge of the boat and you preached to the waves, peace be still. I pray, God, you would speak that same word over our own restless hearts, over whatever fears, God, we carry into this time. Be with us now, Jesus. We look to you. You are the one who stills the waves. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I thought it was interesting that uh, Pete begins this chapter on the daily office and Sabbath keeping by telling a story about blizzards. He tells this true story about how people living in certain parts of the country are practiced at knowing how when winter comes, uh, they are to tie ropes that stretch from their houses all the way to their barns. Uh, because they know that during winter it is not uncommon for these blizzards to arise fast and furious and uh, result in whiteout conditions in which you, you, know, you can't see or, or make your way. And Pete tells the true story of farmers uh, being found frozen to death out in their backyards because they were just walking in circles. They had literally, in the midst of a blizzard, lost their way back home. They couldn't see where they were going and didn't know where they were. And so what Pete says that what we, we need is something similar. In the same way that these farmers living um, in places that are prone to blizzards need a rope to help them hang on, something to hold on to, to orient, the, orient them and know how to keep and find their way. What he's going to say in this chapter is in our own seasons of chaos and uncertainty, in our own blizzard-like conditions, white out, or we don't know where we're going we can't see ahead of us that what we need is a rope to hang on to, to hold on to, and that God has provided exactly that kind of rope in the form of these two practices, the daily office and keeping the Sabbath. Now, if you've been at Trinity any amount of time, you've heard us talk about um, the daily office quite a lot. It is, uh, by the way, um, more than simply a list of readings printed on the back of our Sunday flyer. Uh, when we talk about the daily office, we're talking about, of course, um, a habit of daily prayer. And because we've talked so much about that in the past, and Pete does such a great job talking about it in the chapter, and the text that we read this morning focuses rather on keeping the Sabbath, 
that's where I'm going to spend most of um, our attention this morning. And yet, I want to say this um, to you. I cannot truly implore you enough. If you do not have a habit of spending regular time in prayer and in the Scripture with God, I cannot implore you strongly enough. Now is a time when something like that is not just nice to do or a sort of good supplement to coming to church. Y'all, we have to have those kinds of things. They become absolutely critical in a moment like the one that we're in. And I also just want to say, as we begin to shift to talk about the Sabbath, I position myself this morning alongside you as a learner, not as an expert, because while I have had, of course, for a very long time, a habit of daily prayer and reading my Bible, and even of keeping the Sabbath in a kind of like, you know, principled sort of way, I take a day off where I don't do any work and spend time with my family. I want to tell you, I have been so convicted over these last few weeks in thinking about the Sabbath and the way that Pete's talking about it and the way that the Bible talks about it and realizing that truly for, for myself, if, if I'm honest, um, this, this practice is more like a thread than a rope. I think the Lord in his grace and mercy has been saying to me that if I don't start to take serious some of these life-saving measures that God has provided for us, I am and we are going to find ourselves trying walking in circles, trying to make sense of where we are, holding on to threads when what we need is a rope. God has provided you, I believe, with exactly that kind of rope in these practices. So I want us to think together about the Sabbath. Uh, if you read uh, this, this chapter, in Exodus chapter 20, and other places in Deuteronomy, there is a strong commandment towards Sabbath-keeping. The word Sabbath, of course, in the Hebrew, means simply to stop or to cease, to take a, a break uh, from work. It's the fourth and the longest commandment. It is, interestingly enough, the only commandment that is given a rationale. God actually explains why he says you're supposed to keep the Sabbath. And he gives two reasons for this in the Bible. One appears here in Exodus chapter 20, and another will, peel, will appear later on in the book of Deuteronomy. Two reasons uh, for doing this. The first, here in Exodus 20, is connected to the story of creation. If you read the commandment in full as we did, you'll see that the reason that Israel is told to keep Sabbath is because in the creation, God created for six days, and then on the seventh, he finished and he rested. So we're told in the Bible. If you read later in Deuteronomy in chapter 15, what you'll notice there is that God gives a different reason for keeping the Sabbath. The Israelites are told similarly to keep the Sabbath, honored as holy, but the reason is different. This time it's because of the story of the Exodus. It's because God liberated the people of Israel, Israel out of slavery and set them free, and they are therefore told to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. So in the Jewish imagination, Sabbath-keeping this call to honor, remember the Sabbath, has always been a kind of liberation story. That's what these two stories have in common. Both the story of creation and the story of Exodus are about God setting his people free. In the story of Genesis, creation itself is liberated from the tyranny of chaos, set free so that it could thrive, live, be the thing that God ordains it to be. In the story of the Exodus, similarly, the people of Israel are liberated. They're delivered out of the tyranny of oppression, out of slavery, so that they could go free and be the people that God has called them to be. So both liberation stories, both having to do with freedom. One, the freedom from chaos, 
and the other uh, the freedom from slavery. And as I was sitting about, sitting and thinking about both of those stories and this commandment to keep the Sabbath honored as holy, I was thinking about, you know, what that really does mean then in light of the call to rest, to stop, and how that's connected to our freedom. Because I think if a lot of us are honest, when we think of the Sabbath, we typically think of, well, you know, what an, it's a great commandment from God. How nice of God that he would want us to take a break and rest and that he would work that into the rules. It's really great of God. That's sort of how we think about it. And as I was sitting, not only with Pete's writing, but in my Bible and through prayer, it occurred to me that actually it's about a lot more than that. Um, for the Jews, whenever they thought or talked about the creation story and what's happening, for example, um, if you talk to Jews, they will say, God created for six days. Yes, that's true. He worked. But something happened on that seventh day. God finished his work, the Bible says, on the seventh day, not just from stopping, but from, in the positive sense, God created a kind of rest, something that the Jews call menuach, a rest that is full of delight and peace. So when we're talking about Sabbath keeping, we're not just talking about taking a break so that we can get rested up to get back out there and get back at it. Because if you think about that, actually, that still has work as its ultimate aim. I rest so that I can work better, work well. And while that may be true, the call to keep Sabbath has something altogether different in mind. We don't rest so that we can work. We keep Sabbath so that we can cultivate and learn the Sabbath rest of God, menuach, how to rest, how to stop, in a way that forms within me the ability to delight in what's around me and to have peace. That's something altogether different. Because the other thing, like having a weekend isn't exactly a countercultural idea. Um, everybody likes to take a break. And in fact, our culture calls you to take a break, rest, so that you can get back out there and work 60 or 80 hours a week. And the Bible is saying something altogether different. We want to stop so that we can be free from the oppression of striving constantly, striving to get ahead, striving to be more than I am, striving to get my house right, striving to look right, to just stop and experience the, the freedom of God uh, to really delight. And so I guess maybe a good way of thinking of it, maybe a first question, and one I've been sitting with myself a lot over the last week or so, is like, am I, am I free in that way? Am I free from the tyranny of chaos? Or do I feel like I'm sort of always running and not really getting anywhere? I never really know if I'm upside down or right side up. Am I really free from slavery? Or do I have masters like greed or pride or my appetites, which I am really serving all the time? And that's, I think, the first question maybe to ask ourselves about the Sabbath is, if, I, if I'm not free in those, way, in those ways, then maybe what God intends to give me through the Sabbath is not just a command to stop, not just a command to rest, but like an opportunity, an invitation to be free in ways that I'm not really free. How often do you really practice delight, for example? thinking about that myself. And whatever it was that God felt when he looked out over creation 
and was able to rest and delight at the same time. Because that's really what we're talking about. And I wonder if for some of us, one of the reasons that we struggle to imagine that God delights in us is because we're so too little practiced at delighting in other things. Even if you're not aware of it, y'all, that ceaseless and relentless pursuit of work, like the drive to do more and be more and get more, all of those things over time, they harden you. Oh, we are not machines. And yet we live our lives in a kind of machine-like manner, always doing and going and getting. And the effect that has over time really is a kind of hardening effect. Ruth Haley Barton wrote this brilliant book called Sacred Rhythms, which I commend to you as a really good next step after finishing EHS or to, to pick up um, for your devotional time. It's brilliant. And she actually says keeping Sabbath is the way, a, a one step towards beginning to cultivate tenderness in our own life with God so that we can become gentler. If we learn to stop and delight and pay attention to what's happening around us, we soften. We soften towards God. We soften towards the people around us so that God can be at work in our hearts so that we can hear from him in, may, in ways maybe that we're not practiced otherwise in hearing from him. I want to commend that, that thought to you and ask you to think about your own, your own practice. What do I really do to stop and to delight, to create the kind of rest, to cultivate it in my life that God's talking about in this commandment? In this, the time that remains together, I want to say a word about this, another aspect of the Sabbath that I think in my own life has been uh, muted or, or minimized unintentionally. Uh, because when I'm reading in the Bible, what you see in these commands to keep Sabbath are really two dimensions. There's this dimension that's related to me and to my own need for rest. And then there's also this other dimension, which is related to the people around me and their need for rest. So, for example, Israel is never just commanded to keep Sabbath and to stop working themselves. That rest is to also be extended to the people around them, their neighbors, the exiles living among them, their slaves and their servants. And so with that thought in mind, I want us to think about Sabbath uh, maybe this way. Patrick Miller, he's a brilliant Old Testament scholar. He's now at home with the Lord. But in a lot of his writing, he talks about something called the Sabbath principle. And it's this one in seven rule in which kind of plays throughout the Old Testament. Like every one in seven days is to be given as a Sabbath day in which Israel is to rest and all their exiles and slaves are to rest with them. Similarly, every one in seven years is to be kept as a Sabbath year in which the slaves are to be set free. So not only um, is Israel to rest, but our slaves are liberated and set free and the land is to lie fallow. So if you own land during the Sabbath year, you're not allowed to harvest your crops that year. Instead, you're meant to give access to the poor, those who are non-landowning, so that they could come and harvest crops for themselves. And I just think that this is so important and probably not talked about often enough when we think about the Sabbath, is that the, this practice was not just about like promoting rest and tending to our own soul and care, but it really has at its heart, at the root of it, this intention to establish equity. These weren't just acts of charity. In other words, where we would give people a day off, set them free for a time, or give people access to our fields. But really, this practice was a way of taking steps towards establishing this kingdom, this promised world. 
in which there was no longer free and slave, in which there was no longer powerful and powerless. But we were working towards a world that really did have equity as, as a practice at its heart and at the center. And I've, I've been thinking about that quite a lot, that this command um, to keep Sabbath is about me and the people around me, and that it is about um, charity, but it's also about something more than that. That this was a call to leverage real privilege and real power. There is a difference between charity and establishing equity. And I've had to bring myself, my own life, before the Lord and ask Him to examine my heart. I, I can see ways in which I am working to advance and give charitably. Um, to perform acts of charity. But what about establishing equity? What does that look like in my life with God? So, for example, a person making donations to homeless shelters or uh, adopting orphans, those kinds of things are powerful, wonderful, God-commanded things to do. But they aren't necessarily steps towards establishing equity or dismantling racism, for example. And I've known people who say to me, well, I'm I'm not racist. I give money to this organization. I support this work over here. And while, again, so good and so important, when we're talking about racism, what we're ultimately talking about is not just feelings of prejudice that I carry in my own heart, an unkind word or an unkind thing that I might do. When we're talking about racism, what we're talking about is a system that is built on and perpetuates inequality. So that if we were going to, for example, do the work of establishing equity, if we were going to do the work of being really anti-racist, it has to be about more than just our charity. It would, for example, look something more like the white person who's up for promotion chooses to pass on that promotion and instead insists that it be given to her black colleague, whom she knows is as qualified, if not more qualified, for the same position. That's leveraging privilege and power in ways that are felt and start to right-size imbalances and inequities. That's establishing equity. It's being anti-racist. The Bible would say that person's not just anti-racist. She's free. There's a freedom that I'm operating from when I'm able to place limits on myself like that, to submit to limits for the sake of myself, my own good, and the good of the people around me. There is a freedom that's truly powerful and truly countercultural at work in a person who is able to do something like that. So when we talk about keeping Sabbath, I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to like really truly expand your imagination. What does it mean for me to stop and to rest and to delight so that a kind of freedom could be cultivated in my own heart, in my own mind, that would give me the strength I need to submit to limits for the sake of people around me, to want their freedom and their good as much as I want my own. These next few months, y'all, we are going to be living in a new day and a new time. The language that we've used, as Chris said it a couple of weeks ago, our reality will be primarily to figure out what it means to be the church scattered rather than gathered. And I just want to tell you, what that means for us is not something that is radically new for the people of God. We are going to be experiencing something that in some really meaningful ways is very akin to what the people of Israel went through when they experienced the exile. 
And when the church was deprived of a sanctuary in space, we lost it in the exile. We didn't have access to the temple. So we didn't know where to go in order to pray and be the people of God. When we were deprived of our sanctuaries in space, what the people of God did through the Sabbath and other practices was erect sanctuaries in time. And that's what we're going to have to do through our Sabbath keeping, through our prayer, through our reading the Bible, through our choice to be together in safe and small ways, we are going to erect sanctuaries in time in which I promise you, if I look at my Bible and I look back through history, the Spirit of God is not limited in those spaces. If anything, He's empowered because we are at His mercy. We don't exactly know what to do or how to step out. So again, I implore you, look at your practices, your life with God. If what you have in your hands are threads and not ropes, then consider this a gracious invitation from the Lord to strengthen what's in your hands, to lean in and to learn so that we can figure out where we got to go so that we can hold on to God and hold on to each other in this new season. God bless you. If you're able, let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you and keep you.